You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Aging and aging with power are very different. So old sounds like it's the end, but aging with power, whether it's aging with power through your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and supporting that with a healthy lifestyle gives you such great self-esteem and it empowers you to really use your mind at its best and feel good in your body. That was Norma Kamali. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, everyone. Welcome and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I am so excited to bring you my conversation with today's guest, fashion icon and industry pioneer, exercise and wellness guru, and author of the amazing new book, I Am Invincible, Norma Kamali. Before we get started, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course, there's a link in the show notes. Now, back to our guest, Norma Kamali. Norma Kamali has been designing for over five decades, since 1967 to be exact. And to this day, she is the exclusive owner of her iconic brand, You may know Norma Kamali from her game-changing fashion designs, like the sleeping bag coat, her fashion-forward swimwear collections, world-famous sweats and cover-ups, pioneering activewear line, or her eponymous retail store and wellness cafe and skincare line, Norma Life. Or perhaps you have listened to her amazing podcast, Norma Life, where she talks to health and wellness thought leaders, experts, doctors, mixed with fashion industry legends, cultural innovators, and more. Norma Kamali has a new book, I Am Invincible, which like everything she does is going to change your life in a really great way. It's her first book on her personal and professional life. In it, she shares invaluable insight on how to age with power throughout the many facets of a woman's life, self, career, and love. It is a manifesto, a memoir, and an essential guide. She lays out a blueprint to navigate with purpose and authority throughout each decade, from your teens to the hundreds. Norma imparts her wisdom on authentic beauty, timeless style, career building, fitness, and health 
through personal stories, daily exercises, favorite recipes, and actionable advice designed to help women of every age create their happiest, healthiest, most successful, and fulfilling lives. During our conversation, I get an inside look at where it all began, how she has continued to innovate and pioneer her brand over five decades, the highs and lows, where her visionary creativity comes from and how she is living her purpose. We talk about the inspiration behind her many designs, behind her new book, I Am Invincible, and she shares where her passion for exercise and wellness began and how it has inspired and influenced the many facets of her life. I hope you enjoy this conversation and feel as empowered and inspired as I do by Norma Kamali. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. It's easy. Head over to the app on your Apple device. Click on Marnie on the Move podcast. Scroll through the episodes. Click on five stars and leave a review. Tell us what you love. Also, feel free to share what you're listening to with your social networks on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and tag us, Marnie on the Move, and we'll tag you back. And don't forget, sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Download. Now, on to the episode. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Uh, My pleasure. Yeah, so Mercury's in retrograde. I just had Dr. Jennifer Freed on the podcast. Do you know her? No, I don't know her. Well, I just, I believe in all of that until February 20th, so... Oh, well, so is she talking about Mercury retrograde? Yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah. I'm a believer. I'm, I'm indoctrinated. Believe me, when you're in business, and especially where deadlines are so important, if you don't yeah. pay attention, it's in all of our calendars, as are full moons. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Every full moon is in there. We try to segue around it yeah well she said to check everything three times so I've literally been emailing all PR people three times to confirm meetings three times reading everything just you never know oh um, trust me I I I met this amazing astrologer that I write about my book and and uh and not only did she tell me that I'd meet my soulmate at 65. She also taught me about Mercury retrograde. So I've been into the Mercury retrograde thing since 1970. Okay. I'm a believer. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm totally into astrology too. First of all, I love your new book. I am invincible. It's incredible. Every single person who's remotely into wellness or spirituality or just wants to do better in their life, in their career, in everything. You have so much great advice on wellness rituals, mantras, motivation, empowerment. Thank you for putting this out into the universe. Thank you very much. You know, it's very important to realize at some point in your life what your purpose is in this lifetime. And I really understand my purpose is to serve women and sharing information especially at 75 i have so much information to share that it seems like the right thing for me to do so that's why this was a project of love completely one of my big takeaways is how you do talk about living your purpose and 
yours, as you mentioned in your book, is to live a creative life, which I really, it really resonated with me because of how you talk about what that means. So how did you realize that that was your purpose? When did you realize it? And how, what could you advise other people who are sort of in that space, including myself, trying to figure out all of these things? Well, I always remember my favorite moments as a child were when I was sketching or in my, in my head, thinking of creative things. And I always loved that. And I wanted that to be my life. And I created my um, schooling and I, I managed to get scholarships and grants using my creative abilities to uh, take me to some place. I wasn't sure what it would be. And one of the scholarships I received was to FIT and I studied fashion illustration. I didn't really like fashion. Mm -hmm. And I, I understood that somewhere along the line, Creativity would have to be where I ended up. And so I ended up in fashion and, and through a great, wonderful adventure. And then understanding that that was my happy place. That was where I felt exhilarated. I did not want to compromise that. So every decision you make after you make the decision of what you your purpose is. Every decision you make is really based on whether you're being true to your purpose. So I had the opportunities to have partners, have investors, have other versions of those things, but I was very aware of the fact that I no longer would have the final say on the type of creative life I would have. Somebody else would be defining that. And, and so all the decisions I made ended up being that I would not have partners and that I would ultimately, as I still am today, be running my own business without partners and not owing any money and longevity has been the result of that too. And that is a really big lesson and information to have early on. You're such a pioneer, a fashion icon. Where did your foray into fashion and fashion design begin after FIT? Right. So I went, I had a really good portfolio, an art portfolio, an illustration portfolio. And I had a job interview in the in the garment center and I really was so excited I was going to have a job and this meant so much to me and to my mother who kept saying you you know you got to pay the rent you got to help with the rent here you could get a job and so the interview was much different than I expected he was sitting at his desk eating a tuna sandwich and I came in with my portfolio and I spent I spent so much time on my portfolio, so much time on what I would wear and how I would look. And he told me to put my portfolio down and turn around for him. And all I could think of was he was the power in the room and 
I really wanted a job. And I heard my mother's voice saying, get a job. And I turned around and I was so humiliated that I did that. I was so embarrassed that I ran out of his office. I grabbed my portfolio and I remember flip-flopping in my pumps in my yeah. black pumps in my little black dress and just totally feeling awful about it. So I went home, told my mother I didn't get the job, looked in the New York Times classified section, which is where you would look for a job. Right. I remember those days. <laughs> I, I said, I want to travel. I'm, I'm going to get a job at an airline. And I got a job in reservations for Northwest Orient Airlines. And so here we are very early in the 60s. And every weekend round trip, I was in London for $29 round trip. Wow. So I would be there from Thursday to Monday. And it was watching this revolution unfold every weekend. And it was incredibly inspiring because fashion to me beforehand was bat madmen and that very you know, we were wearing girdles and garter belts and cone bras. It was awful. And now all of a sudden, you know, you could wear tights and you didn't have to wear all of that stuff. And the clothes were just creative and everybody dressed in a different way. And it was, and short skirts that had never, ever, ever been seen on the streets before. Right. In history, in history. All of a sudden, this was what I was wearing, what people were wearing, and it was extraordinary. And so that, to me, was my comfort zone, and that's when I started to bring back clothes and then open a store for $285 a month. Yeah, amazing. And then, yeah, and, and my salary at the airline was $80 a week. That's so it's, uh, it's so crazy. And I'm sure that was a good amount of money back then. No, no it, it wasn't. It, it wasn't. <laughs> no. it, I probably yeah. it should have been 150. Right. But for the most part, that was the beginning for me in discovering who I was going to be and how I was going to take it forward. And a lot of it was inspired by like the fashion in London and like rock and roll and the scene that was happening at the time. Yeah. And then you opened on the Upper East Side. So what was happening like on the fashion landscape in New York at the time? Well, so I was on East 53rd Street. And right. so it wasn't really that far upper, but it was okay. sort of mid. <laughs> I'm in Battery Park, so it's like way. <laughs> it's way far up. And there was the beginnings of a few designers who were making clothes mm -hmm. too. And vintage clothes were, had already sort of been acceptable in certain circles in New York. Right. And so that existed. So the street had all the buildings painted different colors and we all had very creative clothes and it was very colorful and very creative and very individual. Nobody would ever want to dress like anybody else and no celebrity would ever want a stylist to dress them because they would want to show their own 
personality. So it was definitely a different time. Throughout the decades, your designs have been game-changing. The designs, the concepts, your stores, everything about what you do. I mean, you really are a true pioneer in so many ways. What were you thinking at the time when you created your famous sleeping bag coat? What was the sort of thought process or idea and inspiration behind this coat, which is legendary? Well, I mean, it's a simple story. I, it's the 70s, and I was camping because that's what, you know, if you were a flower child, you camped and you were out in the woods. And so all of my friends on the weekends would get together and we would hop in our VW vans with that said keep on trucking. It's totally with the painted colors, seriously. And we would go camping upstate and canoeing. And one night uh, I was in a tent in my sleeping bag and I thought, oh no, I can't believe I have to go to the bathroom and it's so cold outside. (laughs) And so I just said... I, I'm just putting my sleeping bag right over me and I had it over my shoulders. And as I'm walking in the woods, I'm thinking, I need to put sleeves on this when I get home. And that's exactly what I did. Now it was the beginning of it. And then it just took off, right? Like how, how did it become so popular? Like what's the story behind that? It just, you know, a lot of these things you really can't explain it's just that right moment in time. So my first coats were actually made out of sleeping bags. I bought tons and tons of bags with different uh, flannel and these geese and ducks and everything inside. And they were all very different and people loved them. And then we were making so many of them that I started to develop fabrics for them. And I, every year since then, I've made sleeping bag coats. And there are three different periods when the sleeping bag coats just exploded. I mean, it's always gone like fashion, commodity, fashion, commodity. But then there are times that it's like, whoa, way up. And now, obviously, is one of those times. I think the sleeping bag coat, when you have it on, feels like the hug that you were you would get from a friend that you missed. You know, right. it has that if you feel cocooned and you feel like you're hugged in your coat. The other time was nine eleven when a lot of people were stranded in New York right. and either living at airports or in hotel lobbies. And so they actually were slept in. And then in nineteen 19- like 76 to, you know, the beginning and the end of Studio 54. Right. The doorman and Steve Rubell wore sleeping bag coats. And so we sold a ton then because people thought if they wore a sleeping bag coat, they'd be able to get in. Right. Which wasn't necessarily true. (laughs) Before our interview, I called my mom because she's like around your age and I grew up in New York and coming into the city and I remember being like I don't know like 10 and my parents were out every single night at Studio 54 and they're from Forest Hills so they knew Steve and I was like do you have the sleeping bag coat yeah no I mean it's it's amazing I mean I feel like that 
era is gone so long ago, but I, yeah. there was even a time in New York, like 20 years ago, where people were, there were doormen in clubs. You know, it's an interesting correlation to now because while New York in the 70s was one of the most creative times, especially in fashion and art that I can remember, and Ian will say the same thing, the city was bankrupt and the city was a dangerous place to live in. And it was really very scary. And a lot of people fled the city and there were a lot of empty buildings and empty stores. And what does it sound like I'm saying? It sounds like I'm talking about today. And I, I really am so nervous because it's very easy to go down that rapid hole really fast. And I feel like New York is going to be challenged a bit. Yeah. And, and I don't, I feel concerned about it. If what happens is if there's no money in the city right. because people are leaving, then services get cut back and there's less protection, a less, less structure in the city. So I don't know if that means then on the other end that there'll be a new version of that creativity and young people will come to New York as a place where they can afford the rent again and they and a new creativity will start again. So there's the... I wonder what the cycle is. Like, how long would it take? Like, okay, we're at ground zero now. And so what is it, like three years before the transition, do you think? What are your, what are your feelings I'm not sure, but I think I hear people saying they want to leave the city. Yes. And I'm starting to hear some people say, hey, I'm not, I'm thinking maybe I'll come to New York because I can afford to live in the city. And, and quite frankly, in the Upper East Side right now, you could get great deals. There's so many empty buildings everywhere that everything is negotiable. So maybe we will have the yin and the yang of it, where you have this very scary time where things are not, the city's bankrupt, and right. the, and then this uber creative explosion again. I don't know. I yeah. really don't know. It's. I still feel like we're in this nebulous sort of like phase where, on all levels, I'm not getting a vibe either way. My friends who work in real estate are doing really well. Yeah. I know it's the yin and the yang. It's yeah. either you like in New York, people are looking at an opportunity and to just get out and buy something outside of right. the city. So you, you we stayed. It's just amazing yeah. to look at the flow out of the city. But this is a city that I don't think will ever be fully abandoned. I just you know, I'm born and raised in New York like you are. Yeah. I'm sure we're not we're not we're not gonna give up. I definitely entertained the idea of every now and then there's like this fantasy that plays through my mind where I live on a beach, you know, maybe it's Sag Harbor, maybe it's Santa Barbara, I've never been there. Uh, you know, it could be in yeah. Washington and Seattle, but then I think I would make it probably a week and I'd wanna come back. <laughs> I'm such a New Yorker. You know, I know. It's I hard. Know. But speaking of vacations, you also are so famous for your swimwear. And it wasn't your intention, right? I mean, Farrah Fawcett wore your bathing suit in this 
photo in a poster in the 70s, and the next thing you knew, you were a swimwear designer. And also Francesco Scavullo, who was like legendary photographer in fashion. What was that like? I'd been doing swimwear in my store, and... And I would test swimwear in in the store and do like six pieces. And if it fit nice and everybody sort of looked good in it, then I would do more of them. But I would always do this little test. And the interesting thing is Farrah and like I said, all celebrities always shop for themselves. So Farrah shopped for everything for herself and she bought a lot of swimwear. And I had no idea that she purchased the suit that she did and it was it was a suit that I did and I thought I am definitely not doing this again we'll sell the the three that are left and uh, and that's it and then I see the poster and I was like what she bought that suit and so when she came in after the poster was published I said you have got to tell me why you chose that suit and she said that she and her a friend of hers that was a photographer decided they would want to do a poster and they would just take pictures whenever they felt there was an opportunity. And so they were taking pictures and she had that swimsuit in her bag and she wore it. But clearly, if you've seen the poster, yeah. the swimsuit has nothing to do with the success of that poster. Her smile, her face, her hair, her, her, she is so non-threatening. So if you're a boy and you see her, you feel like she actually may talk to you. Right. You know, she may actually give you the time of day. And I think way beyond anything, that's, that's what made that poster a success. I did through Scavolo, have a lot of swimwear coverage on the cover of Cosmo. And that was the cover of Cosmo in the 70s was super, super powerful and important because Helen Gurley Brown was one of the spokespeople for women's liberation and talking about orgasms, G-spots, sex, you know, everything. And so everybody, every woman never heard those things before it wasn't these were not things that you read articles about and so we were all experimenting and talking about sex and looking at our vaginas and our clitoris and what does it look like and how is this and she was guiding us along the way so the cover of Cosmo was like you can't get better than that cover and we had quite a few and and thankfully it was really instrumental in getting me into the swimwear business. Everyone I've talked to has a swimsuit from you at some point of their life. You really changed the game because you brought like a whole new sense of style to swimwear. Well, I love doing swimwear and it's still a huge business yeah. for us. And we sell tons of swimwear on Revolve and at a quarter. And, and my swimwear collection is very broad because... I have the core client base for me is 25 to 45 and then an extended to 55. But I still have people in their 50s and 60s and 70s that 
are still customers. So I have swimwear literally for 20-year-olds up to my age. And so the range is quite broad, but the spirit of the suits are, are the same. And so my boyfriend says that he said, one day he said to me, you know, your clothes are brazen. And I thought it was an insult. And I said, what? How can you say that? And then I thought, oh, thank you. <laughs> right? Okay. I know. Thank it's all you. perspective. Right. <laughs> He's not your boyfriend anymore. You guys are engaged now. We're engaged. I know. It's so hard to make the... that transition to say like, oh, know. you know, my fiance know. or your boyfriend. I have to, I like, I don't even know what to say. But yeah. So that's where we are. That's so cool. Do you remember, since we're like in this like time of what would be fashion week, but I don't know, everyone's doing different things. Like, do you remember your first fashion show? I do remember my first fashion show. And I remember just before it, I, after work, we would all get dressed, of course, because, because the 70s were sort of like one big costume party. Right. And so we all got dressed and went to this club. And we heard about this singer who was very funny. And she had a show and we sat right up front. And it was Beth Midler. And she was wearing vintage clothes that were falling apart. And she was like, doing her thing, singing and hysterically funny. And she stopped in the middle of the show and she said, okay, who are you people? Who are you and where? what are you wearing and where can I get those clothes? So after the, the show, she said, I have no money. Can I work for you during the day to pay for some of the clothes? And I said, no, no, no. I'm doing a fashion show, my first one. And at the time... People narrated the fashion show. There would be somebody who talked you through, and this is style 63, and this is what it's about. So I said to her, and 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 nobody knew either one of us. Right. And we just met, but we hit it off right away. And I said, what I'd like you to do, I'll give you free clothes if you narrate my first fashion show. And she said, well, what do I say? And I said, I don't care say anything you want to say. And so my clothes, at the time, there was no stretch fabric. The only stretch fabric that existed was girdle fabric and circus fabric that was made out of girdle fabric. And I made these pedal pushers in this fabric, and I made these big polka dot ruffle jackets and platforms this high. And these are first. Yeah. These are not it's not that it had been that. This is the first, right? So we invite these people from the fashion industry who know nothing. Bill Cunningham right. was the early. Photographer. Oh, my God. He was, young. Yeah. he was young then. He wasn't around a long time. And so she sat on a piano. We did it in this. Somebody let us use this very gorgeous mansion on 63rd Street. And we did it in the music room. That sat on the piano and said whatever she wanted to say. And these clothes were coming out. And people just thought they entered the Twilight Zone or something. They just I could not. <laughs> they, didn't get, they didn't get her. They didn't get me. And Bill Cunningham at the time came over and he said, Deary, 
they'll come back. Believe me, they'll come back. And I said, oh, thank you. Who are you? And he said, I'm Bill Cunningham. I just started taking pictures. And and it was like at the beginning of all of this for us. And it was really a very special event, to say the least. I wish I would have recorded it because it was so funny. Was the fashion show after you had gotten divorced or was it no. during? So, so yeah. yeah. So I we got married when we were 19. Right. And we were married for 10 years. And this fashion show was sort of halfway into that period of time. After the fashion show, I mean, you had your sweat line with Jones Apparel, which was huge. Well, that that came right after we separated. So obviously, when two 19-year-olds get married... Yeah, your children growing up basically, and and yeah, the twenties are just meant to figure out who you are, right? And yeah. so we figured out how different we were, and I had to leave the marriage because it was abusive on a level that just wasn't good for my self esteem, and I didn't have any money because men took care of the right. money at the time. And so with my $98, I left. And a series of situations took place where I understood that I needed to talk to people about my problems, which I never would have before. And I literally got help. People actually helped me. So I started a new business. And when I started that business, I was doing swimwear cover-ups out of Gray Terry gray fleece sweatshirt fabric and because I used to wear sweats when I was swimming and got out of the water and mostly boys and men wore sweatshirts gray sweatshirts from army navy stores so I bought the fabric and I made some cover-up cocoon shaped cover-ups and then I made a suit and I made a dress and I made a gown and I made pants and I made a top and I, I had a full collection and I showed it to women's wear and I said, I just feel like I'm afraid to do this and get knocked off. Right. Which is a big thing it. back then, for, especially yeah. for you. Yeah. And so they said, don't show it to anybody. We're going to set up an appointment for you. And they did, and Sydney Kimmel from Jones Apparel, which was a very substantial company at the time, right, came to see it, and we signed a deal. And two weeks later, we were in business. And in 1980, the collection was launched, and that was sort of that became a game changer for me because I became a global brand, and it was really a very new concept that had been typical in the market and it was very well received. There women were on lines outside of stores. I mean there were lines outside of Saks, outside of Bloomingdale's, like everywhere. And it was a huge hit right away. Designers weren't doing that at the time, like partnering with, with another company to produce their collection or to produce right. product. And that was super pivotal especially for you and your career. Flash forward from the fashion, I mean, you also, at that same time, won an award for some of your fashion films from the CFDA, which 
I mean, you're one of the first designers who started using video as a medium for telling stories about your brand through fashion, which is now, you know, something that everybody is doing. What was the inspiration behind that idea? Were you always interested in technology, video, and production? Well, there were a couple of experiences that connected me to whether it's technology or film. And so my job at the airline, by the way, was working on a Univac computer. So the airlines were the first in like industry right. to use technology like that. So I was very aware right then in the 60s of what this technology could do. So when I heard you could have a website, I, of course, was way too early, right. which is, of course, you know, one of my one of my fabulous mistakes I always make. But I was way early on that. But I also feel very comfortable with it. And then as far as the films go, at the time, MTV was a huge hit in the early 80s, huge. And there were music videos and there were tons of music videos. And my clothes were in a lot of music videos. And I thought, this is interesting. I think there should be fashion TV. If there's music TV, why isn't there fashion TV? And there were talk about people doing fashion TV. So I, I made some films. I had a very big budget with Jones for, for the clothes. And so I made these 20-minute films, and they had a storyline. Think of a very early Sex in the City kind of thing, where there's a group of girls, there's a storyline, and it's not about the clothes. It's about the storyline. And the clothes are credited at the end of the film where people can see the name of the outfit and a picture, a still of that person in them, sort of like okay. stills at the end showing the styles. And I had a budget to hire. I, I mean, Barry Sonnenberg was my one of my DPs. And I had these great lighting people who were you know, in between films. And, and so I had really good people working with me. And I would write these fun films and had people really getting into it. And there were a few other people who were doing fashion type films, right? Different. And so I guess I was the only one available to get the, the award. <laughs> but I got you were one of the first designers to create what is now athleisure. And in the time, it was just really stylish activewear is what it was called with your OMO gym active collection. So what was happening at the time that you felt like you wanted to launch this activewear collection and your fashion show for that collection is like right up all of my listeners' alleys? Oh, good. Yeah. Well, so in the 80s, I started integrating these sort of clothes you could work out in because I was doing the sweats at the time. But by the 90s, I really was fully immersed in the physical aspect of women working out and all of the different types of sports that women were doing and the different looks they could have 
that would first function mm-hmm. and have technical abilities and be complementary to the sport. And so I really built a lot around that. And it was early still in the fact that a lot of people were not mainstream working out like today, but it was a time where where people were wanting to, and they were thinking about it. What sports were you doing at the time that you were designing this activewear? Well, I love working out. I just love it. I've done it. I mean, I was first online to get the chain fund of videos. I was always very physical. And for some reason, as a kid, I was a real tomboy. I really loved sports and and competition and swimming. Obviously, that was a big sport for me. And at the time, I was doing Pilates. And around the corner from my building, there is was a Pilates studio. And Joe Pilates had a, 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 a protege named Romana. And she had this gym. And the gym was a gym with disciples of Joe Pilates. Wow. Everybody there was about religiously following Joe Pilates. So if you were putting your hands like this and your pinky was raised up, you'd get yelled at. And most of them were dancers and who were older and really very, very religious, like I said, about Pilates. And I, I did that for 10 years And it was just an extraordinary training. If you've done Pilates, you know the magic circle. And so I illustrated all of the ways you could use the magic circle for Romana so that she could have templates of how to do that. So I, I really, I was very lucky to be trained there. I, it was extraordinary. That's amazing. In addition to your passion for fitness and exercise, you're also a wellness advocate and you opened a wellness cafe in your store just after 9-11. What was the inspiration behind this? So what happened was in the 80s and 90s, a lot of people were dying of AIDS and two of my best friends, my closest friends died of AIDS within a year of each other. And I was devastated and I, I was overwhelmed with grief, quite frankly. And all, all I knew is that anybody that had AIDS was going to die. And, that, and people all over the city, especially downtown, were, had a death sentence. And that the immune system was the culprit, that the immune system was compromised. Therefore, you could die of a heart attack, lung disease, prostate cancer, whatever. And so I decided my way to deal with the grief would be to find out how to have a strong immune system. And so I ended up finding and researching Andrew Weil, Dr. Weil, who was very early a pioneer in this conversation and other really extraordinary people in Arizona and New Mexico, California, 
And so I started to go to seminars and be a part of some of the training that was going on. And I kept it to myself. It was sort of my parallel life to my work. But when 9-11 happened, I realized that the immune system gets broken down with stress and that everybody who was alive and would be born into a world where 9-11 could happen, that we would need some protections. And so I opened the Wellness Cafe and started to do everything about building a strong immune system with great products and practices and had speakers. We would have classes every night at six o'clock. We would have a different class and have talks and tea afterwards. And so many people came out of the woodwork who were living the same kind of lifestyle I was living. And it was great because it was it was a place where we could have this conversation. And at the time, believe me, if you said, if you talked about any of this then, I mean, I was called kooky and eccentric and you know, crazy by people, my friends would say, Norma, please don't say things like that. You're just, you sound crazy. And I was like, okay. I've been hearing that for years too. I mean, (laughs) honestly, like when I talk about astrology or human design or like, you know, eating food as opposed to like, you know, going and getting some kind of, I don't know, taking drugs. I mean, people just think I'm crazy, but I just, I'm, I found my people. Yeah. So you have this great, I love your podcast. I know you haven't put up any new episodes in the last year, but are you planning to put up some new episodes? Because I think my listeners would also love it. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely want to. Obviously, this year has been a year from whatever (laughs) strange place. So really... There, there's a silver lining to everything because what happens is that we learn how to run our businesses better. We learn so much from anything that's disruptive, and this certainly has been disruptive. And I also launched my book at this point and was building up to that through the year. I am so looking forward to doing my podcasts again. And the podcasts are going to be an extension of the book. I'm trying to make sure everybody knows I did this book. I hope that the decades portion of the book is helpful for everyone. Going through each decade is so powerful and transformative in a woman's life. And I wish I would have had a handbook to give me a heads up on what 20s would be like in 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s and on. And so I really hope this helps girls and women. And I think the idea of a healthy lifestyle of sleep, diet, and exercise as sort of the solutions to aging with power. And you start aging at birth, but at 20, my mother said to me, or just before I turned 20, she said, happy birthday, Norma. It's downhill from here on out. And I started crying. (laughs) I thought, 
I don't want to get old. I don't want to be as old as she is or right. other people. I don't want to be old. And we all do that in our 20s. We all like, no, we don't want to be old. But aging and aging with power are very different. So old sounds like it's the end, right. but aging with power, whether it's aging with power through your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and supporting that with a healthy lifestyle gives you such great self-esteem and it empowers you to really use your mind at its best and feel good in your body. And and feeling good in your body is a very important thing for women because if our pants are too tight, we're thrown down. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's as simple as that. Yeah. So we can control it. You talk about aging and we start to think about longevity and you start to think about all the things. And I remember someone telling me when I was like in my 20s that I should be like starting my skincare routine and like doing these things. And I was like, whatever, I'm too busy drinking and going to clubs. and. But right. I'm going to just like do whatever I do. And finally, now I'm like in my late 40s, like next year, I'm turning 50. So I'm like, oh, wow, good for you. Yeah. So I'm like, holy shit, I should have listened. But you know, it's all good. Just moving forward. Well, yeah. So 50 is just, it's such a fantastic talk about transformative time. Yeah. It's the time for reinvention and to really think that there are no milestones that you have to follow. Right. You don't have to follow any rules, milestones. From here on out, you really don't have to give a shit about anything. Just except the trail. You want <laughs> exactly. So I, I will tell you, for me, at 50, I sold and let go of all of my possessions and decided I wanted a minimal life. And it was such a fantastic decision. Yeah. And it was huge. It was huge. But I did it. And I, I congratulate you on this next wonderful yeah. experience for your, for your 50s, especially going from 49 to 50 and getting in that. It's great. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's somewhat disruptive and painful but at the same time you're going to discover what it is you're supposed to do next yes i'm waiting i'm waiting for the letter to tell me what you'll (laughs) you'll you'll just pay attention yeah just pay attention it's right in front of you it's it's right in front of you well i know that you do a lot of meditation which is not something in my wellness arsenal yet but my psychic keeps telling me to like go and meditate and like just be clear. And I'm like, where, how? So it's very easy. I'll tell you how. I'll tell you what you do. So every morning when you wake up, take a little extra time for yourself. You can either go by the side of the bed and sit, or you can sit on a chair, or you can go in the bathroom and close the door and turn off the light and just take that time to think about the day ahead and then let your mind clear because you're, you're still have a clear mind and don't get into the rushing to do whatever. And when you feel 
totally still, just listen to your breath and pay attention to the rhythm of your breath. And then start to activate that rhythm and give it more energy. And not fast, but long and slow. And just focus on that breath. Visualize what it looks like, how it sounds, and a little at a time if you do that every day. And then if you're having a stressful moment, go back in the bathroom again if you're in public or you have a private space and close your eyes and do the same thing. And start to get in the habit of doing that. And that's going to be when you finish that, not during it, when you finish it, that's when you're going to become aware of what it is you're supposed to be doing. It will come to you. That's awesome. Well, this has been so wonderful. And I really hope I want everyone to buy your book. And thank you. I love how you say do all the things you need to do to reach the goals you need to reach. Yeah, that's my mantra. That's what I say to myself when I feel like I'm going off track. I love it. That is such a great mantra. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. You were great. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 